Chat. I'm your host, Jim Maysano. This is your weekly college basketball radio show right here on WBOX 1460 AM in New Rochelle, New York. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being part of the show. Uh, we are one week away, folks. Yes, one week from tonight, there'll be games that count going on in college basketball. One week from tonight. Very exciting. Uh, I own a college, has a game next Monday night, their opener, 7 o'clock against Penn, a good uh, team from the Ivy League, so that's a nice opening for Iona. They'll be challenged, uh, and I know a lot of the listeners will be at that game. So let's go through a couple of things. Tonight's show, we have some fun guests that I think we're going to enjoy chatting with. Number one, R.L. Bynum. He's been on the show a few times. He's from Chapel Hill down in North Carolina. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the UNC Tar Heels, and we're going to talk about the ACC, some of the top teams in the ACC, and maybe even a dark horse uh, in the ACC. RL's been a friend of the show, and we appreciate him calling in from North Carolina. Second, we have another friend of the show, Jaden Daly. Uh, many of you know him as the guy who runs Daily Dose of Hoops, and he's on Twitter regularly talking about college basketball. Uh, he does a really good job of covering the MAC conference, the conference that Iona is in. He also takes a look at the Big East and other conferences uh, and teams in the New York metropolitan area. Jaden is a, a real fountain of information for college basketball in our area, so uh, we're always happy to get Jaden on the show. And then in the last segment, we'll have our number one caller, Kenny from Rye, call in, and together we're going to chat about the Big East uh, and what is the status of the Big East. Is Villanova still the top dog, or are other teams getting ready to make their move to trip up uh, Villanova? We'll see. We'll talk about that. All right, next week, we're going to pre-record the show before the Iona game. So, because I want to go to the Iona game. But we're going to have a great show, including uh, some real interesting guests that are going to uh, talk about college basketball, the overall overarching view across the country of the big issues in college basketball. So, it's going to be a great show, and uh, it'll be played next week uh, right here on WVOX. Uh, same time as always, 8 to 9 o'clock. And, of course, you can always, if you go to the Iona game next week and can't listen... You can always listen. Uh, I'll be sharing the show on social media Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday uh, after the show ends. So uh, next week's show should be very good. So something happened in our area in basketball this week we're going to talk about briefly. I don't want to talk about it too long, but Manhattan, one of Iona colleges, excuse me, Iona University, main rival, one of their main teams that they've been battling it out for years to win the MAC is Manhattan College in Riverdale in the Bronx. And Steve Baciello has been their coach, someone I happen to like and think is a really good guy. And I think he's an excellent coach. He had a great run for a while. Then he had an issue uh, when he was looking to move to a bigger program down at South Florida. There was a resume issue and it didn't work out. So he came back to coach Manhattan. Um, and his teams haven't been as good since that happened about four or five years ago. Prior to that, Steve was one of the up and coming coaches in the country. So he was fired this past week, and my understanding, having made calls, so I have some information, maybe more than some others in the media, is there was a bit of a rivalry between Steve and the athletic director, and they both wanted to get their contracts extended, and Manhattan decided to extend the AD and not extend him, and there was a big, long discussion. Some use the word confrontation. I don't know. I wasn't there, but it ended up in Steve being fired, which is bizarre, right? I mean... What team in America of the 300 and roughly 62 college basketball teams in America in Division I, 
would fire their coach within two weeks of opening day. It's bizarre. doesn't make any sense. So I think the Manhattan administration handled this matter horrendously. If you're a Manhattan fan, I'd be mad. I'd be pissed off the way they handled the situation. If they were going to go down the road of extending the AD and not extending the coach, they should have dealt with this in the spring. They could have got a new coach. They could have got into the transfer portal. But to leave the coach dangling and give the extension to the AD uh, and then expect him to be happy about that, and then when there's a discussion about it, he gets fired, seems to be horrible leadership by Manhattan College. Again, I'm biased. I like Steve Maciello. I think he's a really good guy. So we'll discuss what's left because not only did they uh, fire their coach, Steve Maciello, but three of their best players left the program into the transfer portal. So what's going to happen with Manhattan is a big question mark. All right? All right. Another issue to throw out there before we get our first caller, R.L. Bynum, calling from the Tar Heel Tribune down in North Carolina, is... An issue that I'm not happy about, I'm not pleased about, it's being pushed by the power conferences. They want to expand the NCAA tournament. That's out there, folks. It's in the news. It's being discussed. It's in meetings. I think it's a huge mistake. I think you don't mess with uh, success. You don't mess with one of the great sports events in America, the NCAA tournament. Here's the deal. The power conferences are not happy that they get five or six teams, seven teams into the NCAA tournament. They want more. Basically, they want to expand the NCAA tournament to get more mediocre power conference teams into the tournament. Now, that's ridiculous. It's like a participation trophy society. You know, the ACC, the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12, these schools are already getting a bunch of teams in the tournament. They're basically arguing now, expand the tournament so we can let our 7th, 8th, and ninth place teams into the tournament. Total mediocrity. Teams that had a whole season to make it into the tournament, and they didn't make it. So I'm very disappointed in this, but it's something for all of you to watch because there's a chance it may happen. I don't know if they're going to expand it to 72 teams. That would be four more because it's currently 68. I don't know if they're going to go up to 80. That's a proposal. I don't know uh, if they're going to go to 96. I hear that a lot, 96. I've even heard 128, which is just absolutely ridiculous that they let 128 teams in the NCAA tournament. So... We'll see what happens. Something to watch, folks. Keep an eye on. All right, so we're waiting for our first caller, R.L. Bynum, our friend from North Carolina. R.L., are you there? I'm here. Good to be with you. How's North Carolina doing? Doing good. Uh, Doing well in football for a change as well. I know. If this was a football show, we could talk about their big win this week against Pittsburgh and how they're looking like they might even get into the ACC championship game, right, In, in football. Yeah, they have a have a really good chance. Uh, they really have to have to start losing it every week to not make the championship game at this point. And if they end up playing Clemson, I think they'll have a chance to win that game. They could actually win the ACC. They could, but the defense is still an issue. It is. So uh, you know that, that that's an issue every game. And but they seem to be making enough big plays in the second halves of games to somehow uh, get through. And having Drake May sure helps. Well, let's just tell everybody that you may all remember, because we're about to talk about the UNC Tar Heels and some of their great basketball teams. They once had a great forward that helped them win a national championship named Luke May. He was a real leader on the team. He was a good defender. He could shoot. Uh, He was a really good team player. He made that team a lot better. What people may not know, R.L., is that his brother is the quarterback of the UNC football team right now. 
Right. And uh, by the way, uh, uh, Luke's uh, another one of Luke's brother brothers, Bo, is a walk-on on the basketball team this year. Well, the Mays seem to do very well at UNC. That's for sure. That's for sure. All right. Let's get into this basketball team. So I'll I'll let me tee it up for you, RL, and you can tell us what you know. So last year, the last time we saw our UNC Tar Heels playing in an official basketball game that counted, it was in the finals of the NCAA tournament where they had a big lead in the first half, but then Kansas played out of their minds in the second half, and UNC got a little tired out there, and uh, they came in second place uh, in the in the nation in college basketball, losing to Kansas in a national championship game. But as a Tar Heel fan, which I admit I am, uh, it was a great season because nobody thought this was a team that would make the finals in the NCAA tournament back in January. They had some really bad losses, but they kind of tightened the rotation in February. They started playing better defense. They started better better. Uh, team offense, and the next thing you know, they got hot. Uh, they beat Duke twice, which was legendary at the end of Coach Gay's career. And off they go to the NCAA tournament. They get on a run. They're playing really well. Beat Duke again in the Final Four, which is like one of my all-time favorite sporting events. And they lose in the finals. And then four of the five starters say, let's run it back. Let's go back and play one more year. We can make NIL money in the meantime because they're paying money to big teams like North Carolina. So four of the starters came back. Caleb Love and R.J. Davis and the great Armando Baycott, one of my favorite players ever in college basketball, all came back. Leaky Black, a great defender. And they add Pete Nance, a top forward from Northwestern who played really well last year. They got a great starting five. How high is the excitement? For the UNC Tar Heels in basketball? Oh, I don't think it's been this high since maybe 2009 when Carolina went uh, uh, wire to wire as the number one team. And, uh, you know, Roy Williams often said that <clears throat> it's good to have talent, but it's better to have experienced talent. And that's what the Tar Heels have uh, uh, plenty of experience, and, and they've been through an NCAA tournament run. They know how that feels. They know the pressure. So I think they're ready to make a, a pretty good run when you uh, have single elimination. You never can tell what will happen. But uh, they look solid. And, and you mentioned uh, being tired in the second half against Kansas. Uh, Hubert Davis has talked about that game and the second half of the Virginia Tech game in the ACC tournament as, as times that they were tired and He's talked about wanting to expand his uh, rotation, and I think he's going to do that this year. Uh, DeMarco Dunn's going to have more of a role, I believe. Uh, Montrez Styles will, will also be able to contribute. And uh, the first is Seth Grimble. He, he's he's uh, the brother of, you may remember, J.P. Tokata. I think he, other than Nance, I think he's going to have the biggest impact of the newcomers. He's quick. He can jump. He can defend very well. So that that will really help as far as uh, time management for Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. They will I don't think they'll have to play as many minutes this time around because of uh, Triple's presence. Right. Right. Well, there's no doubt in the national championship game, you could see with about five to seven minutes to go that R.J. Davis was utterly exhausted. Clearly, the great coach Bill Self. Uh, purposely worked diligently to tire out R.J. Davis. And frankly, it worked. It really did work. Um, so they need more depth 
to get through this season. And you're saying a guy to watch is Seth Trimble, who's an incoming freshman, six foot two. And I didn't realize he was a former Tar Heels brother, Jay uh, Tokido. So that's pretty cool scoop. Mm-hmm. But I hear very good things about Seth Trimble. You're saying that's the freshman to watch. That, oh, that, that is definitely the freshman to watch, uh, for sure. And then you're going back to the championship game. I, I would dare say if you had a healthy Armando Baycott, Carolina wins the national championship. I mean, he, 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 uh, battled, uh, uh, very, very well considering, uh, his injury. But if he was 100%, I, I think Carolina wins that game. And, and it's maybe not even close at the end. But I, you, you I know, do. I get it. Part of the game. I get it. It's a great point. Uh, look, you, uh, you watch every game, and I watch every game for the Tar Heels. And I think you'll remember, RL, because we, I think we discussed this last year on this show, is that earlier in the year when R.J. Davis wasn't playing quite as well as he did in February and Caleb wasn't playing quite as well as he was, uh, Armando Baycott put that team on his back in December and January. And the wins they got, he was the star. He was the best player in the court in all those games. He should have been the ACC Player of the Year. Uh, he's a tremendous player that you must have enjoyed covering the Tar Heels down in North Carolina, that he got better every year to now he's become one of the best players in the country, Armando Baycott. And, and thank goodness for NIL, because if the NIL wasn't around, I don't know that Baycott or Love would have been back. So, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, uh, Baycott is, routinely gets double-doubles. He had 20 rebounds in the uh, exhibition victory on Friday. But, uh, you know, truth be told, it wasn't a very good team uh, Johnson C. Smith had won five games last year, and Baycott had a substantial height advantage. But nonetheless, he was dominant. Right. And um, the, the the other thing I noticed in in the exhibition game on Friday, which of course R.J. Davis didn't play, uh, uh, it was it was uh, Caleb Love's playmaking ability. He he really had some nice passes, and he he he, he showed. Some really good playmaking making skills that I don't know that we saw as much uh, last season. So you know, having two guys in the backcourt who can who can have that kind of uh, impact is is really going to make Carolina dangerous. All right, so let's sum it up. North Carolina has a great team. Four starters <laughs> came back from the second best team in the nation. Guys like um, Trimble and Puff Johnson and Demarco uh, Dunn and Styles. Uh, they got to give them more depth this year. This is clearly a team that will be in the NCAA tournament. The question is, are they built to make it through and win six times this year? We will see. It's going to be a really fun season, right? It will be fun. And, and also, you should mention Puff Johnson. He had a terrific national championship game before he got banged in the chest and and uh, had to come out. So, you know, there are a lot of lot of uh, elements to, to uh, Carolina's game and a lot of weapons that maybe Hubert Davis didn't really have last season. I agree. So I think they are, they are, they are built to do it, but you know, you got to be good and you got to be lucky in the NCAA tournament. Right. All right, let's spend about five, six minutes on the ACC, the conference uh, that the Tar Heels play in. Um, you know, if you look at the rankings, it's usually something like North Carolina number one, Duke number two, kind of Virginia number three and Miami number four. That's usually the top four. You see something like that. And then right after that, you see teams like Florida State and Virginia Tech and Notre Dame as probable teams for the tournament. And then you got to, uh, after that, after that six, that, that seven teams I mentioned, again, UNC, Duke, Virginia, Miami, 
Florida State, Virginia Tech, and Notre Dame. They maybe see a little talk about Syracuse, NC State possibly being a tournament team. And then the other six teams, you kind of don't think they're going to be NCAA tournament teams. So, so do you agree with that? The top of the ACC's UNC, Duke, Virginia, Miami? Oh, for sure. And then, then after that, it's kind of, uh, it's, the farther you get down, it becomes a bit of a sea of mediocrity. I mean, you saw Syracuse trail Indiana of Pennsylvania at halftime the other day. Uh, they ended up beating them. Uh, and that's the team that might need to beat by 24. So Louisville lost to, to Lenore Line at home in an exhibition. So there's definitely a lot of weakness as you go down in the league. And who knows who's going to be able to emerge from, from, from that to surprise people. I agree. So, all right, you got Virginia that had brought a lot of guys back. They, got, they went into portal, which was a change Virginia. You know, you got Tony Bennett, that great defensive coach. He, you know, if they play his style, they're very hard to play. I'm thinking Virginia's going to be better this year than they were last year. Uh, I like Miami's transfers. It's going to take them maybe to work in, but still have Isaiah Wong back, who's a really good player. And Duke has uh, like three or four or five-star players. So the, those are probably four tournament teams. Oh, for sure. I mean, Duke, Duke uh, lost to Houston in an exhibition, but I, they were playing without two of their best freshmen, in, uh, Derek Lively and uh, Derek Whitehead, who might be a top-five pick in the draft. So, yeah, I think Duke's definitely a incredible team. Uh, Virginia, Miami, Florida State, and then yeah, maybe a sixth one slips in there. And uh, hey, for Virginia, what Kia Clarkson? What his twentieth season at Virginia? It seems like it. He's been there so long; it's unbelievable. So tell me about so the three teams I think people know less about uh, that look like they got a shot at the tournament: uh, Florida State, Virginia Tech, and Notre Dame. What do you know about those three? Uh, Florida State's going to have their big men who can uh, be physical and and uh, make it tough inside like normal. I think uh, they'll they'll be tough. Miami, um, you know, Miami's going to be uh, a challenge in any any team with Wong with Wong and and uh, Virginia Tech's got a few players back from the ACC championship team, so they ought to be a solid solid uh, team as well. This whether. They have enough to make the incident of like tournament is another question. Yeah, I mean, Florida State, Virginia Tech, and Notre Dame, what stands out for those three for me is they seem to have the talent to be uh, a, a borderline tournament team. But I'll tell you what they have. All three, Florida State, Virginia Tech, and Notre Dame, are very well coached. They have terrific college basketball coaches that will help them kind of take it up a notch to be possible tournament teams. So I do see seven teams uh, from the ACC, the big four, UNC, Duke, Virginia, Miami. And I also see Florida State, Virginia Tech, and Notre Dame. But I'm not too sure about anybody beyond that. No, I mean, uh, I'm kind of curious about NC State, to be honest. Uh, not many people are expecting much from them. But they might be starting four transfers, which is, is amazing. And then they have uh, Terquavian Smith back, who probably would have been a first-round pick had he left. So, you know, that's a, if, uh, if they can somehow mesh together all those new pieces, uh, they, they could be a surprise team as well. I mean, they're, they've got uh, Jarkel Joyner from Old Miss, and he's uh, supposed to be a good scorer at point guard and, and a really good defender. And, boy, 
NC State certainly lacked good defenders last year, so that would help them. Right. But, uh, so that's your team. If you had to pick a dark horse in the ACC, it would be NC State? By dark horse, if you mean uh, maybe getting up to the middle or maybe the bottom of the upper tier, maybe, yeah. Okay. I don't see uh, doing much better than that. So but, some people uh, are saying that Kevin Keats is coaching for his job. You think that's true? Yes, I do. I wow. do. He, he, he's going to... He's going to have to really come come around and have a better season. Um, but he's had some tough breaks. I mean, he lost his best player to injury last season, and then he and then that got transferred at the end of the season. So you know, he's he's had some tough breaks. But you know, they've given him a few seasons, and you know, uh, fan bases and and Houston's uh, all got patient. He says. All right, RL. There's the music. Thank you so much for calling in. We'll talk to you again this season. Uh, have fun following those Tar Heels. All right. Take care now. Good to talk to you. Thanks so much. All right. R.O. Bynum, my friend from North Carolina. Uh, we're going to a commercial break, folks, and we'll be back with Jaden Daly. We love that basketball. Okay, folks, we are back for the second half of College Hoop Chat, and we have a real friend of the show here, someone who gives me advice about covering college basketball. So he's been a, a, a friend, a personal friend as well. Jaden Daly from the website Daily Dose of Hoops. He's on Twitter all the time. Jaden, thank you so much for calling in today. Jim Massano, always a pleasure, my friend. How are you? Doing good, doing good, thanks. All right, so one thing you're known for, literally across the country as one of the experts uh, for a long time now on covering the MAC Conference, the conference that Iona plays in, uh, the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference. Uh, you do a great job covering that conference. I send you texts when I have questions about the Mac, and I, I, I've now read twice uh, your preview, which can be found on your website, Daily Dose of Hoops. If you want to learn about the Mac, folks, just go to that website and check out Jaden's uh, presentation and predictions for the Mac conference. Uh, great work, Jaden. Thank you so much, Jim. Always, always appreciate all the kind words from you over the years. No problem. Um, so it's my third year doing college hoops chat, and I'm having a lot of fun doing the show, and people like you helping me out has made the show better. All right, MAC Conference. Mostly everybody who's done a prediction has Iona number one. We're in New Rochelle on this radio show, down the street from Iona College. I have them number one. You have them number one. But what I keep telling people, and I think you agree, Jaden, is they have a tough non-conference schedule, and they've got a lot of moving pieces that are new this year. They've got a lot of transfers. They've got a lot of freshmen. They do have five players that were part of the rotation back, but they lost not three key players, three of their most key players uh, that are gone. Dylan Van Eyck, uh, of course, was there for uh, several years. He was a leader on the team. Tyson Jolly, Elijah Joyner, three really key players. I think it's going to take a couple of months for Iona to fully replace those three guys. Yeah, that's not going to be easy to do with Rick Tino having to replace the reigning MAC player of the year in Tyson Jolly, a second-team point guard in Elijah Joyner, who was probably most mentally tough pound-for-pound player in the MAC last season, and Dylan Van Eyck, who, as you said, Jim, he did it all for Iona last year, and he gave the program five years. He was the last remaining holdover from the Tim Clouse regime, and that experience certainly helped Iona during the COVID year and also last season as well with his knowing the program and knowing the conference. And it's not going to come easy. Iona is a lot younger this season in terms of what the Gales bring back. So that's something that I, I want to see take flight 
it'll probably get into mid-December, Jim, before I, I look at this team and say, you know what, they're, they're going to be good, but it's going to be a little bit more of a development process. And I think we all know that going in. I agree. Look, they have Nellie Jr. Joseph, who's probably the best player in the MAC back. Uh, and they have Walter Clayton, someone that showed tons of potential uh, as a key player in the rotation last year. Uh, and uh, the other key player uh, coming back is Quinn Slazinski, someone that um, kind of platooned with Dylan Van Eyck. He's really going to be on the hot seat this year, produce, and I think he'll be good. So, all right, let's jump from Iona. So here's my question for you. Ready, Jaden? The yeah, number two team, most of us have Ryder as number two now because of what's going on. We'll get to in a second. Uh, most of us now have Ryder number two. You, you always had Ryder number two. Kevin Baggett's a good coach. Uh, he comes back with Dwight Murray and Alan Powell, uh, along with Mervyn James and Alan Bertrand. This is a really good team. How close do you think Ryder is to where Iona is? Very close. And honestly, I, I had Ryder number one for the majority of the offseason before I started to hear a little bit more about how Rick was developing the newcomers at Iona. And obviously, the MAC coaches are going to give Tino the benefit of the doubt, and why wouldn't they? Right. With his resume and his body of work. But Ryder is not that far away. This is a group that beat Iona in the MAC tournament last year and brings back everybody except Mencio Vaughn. You mentioned Dwight Murray Jr. Alan Powell could be a first team all conference player by the end of the year. Alan Betran, the transfer from Rhode Island, who also played at Towson, is going to have a big impact as well. Tyrell Bladen is back from a torn ACL, and he's going to help Ryder up front along with Tariq Ingram, the Wake Forest transfer. Rogerio DiMuno Johnson doesn't have to do as much. Mervyn James can slide down to the three a little bit more and, and play the three and the four. Ryder's bench is probably deceptively stronger than it was last year. It's not inconceivable to think, Jim, that Ryder could potentially win the regular season if Iona has problems getting its best stride early. I agree. So we have a lot of Iona College fans that listen to this show. Uh, and I do think at the end of the day, Iona has the most talent in the MAC. But I think Ryder is pretty close to Iona, and I think they'll battle Iona all season. I'm with you. Now, let me go to another team. Because I think there's a third team that people talk about less that could also get themselves in the mix, and that is Fairfield. I like how they play defense. I like Supreme Cook, who's a really good player. I like TJ Long. Uh, you've got them on some of your all-conference teams. I think Fairfield's going to have a very solid season. I do, too, and I just saw Fairfield yesterday in the exhibition against Rutgers down in Piscataway, and they matched Rutgers for almost 30 minutes. So this team, and Jay Young has been talking about it all offseason when I spoke to him last month, he couldn't stop talking about how much depth he had. It's the most depth that he's had since he's been there. Supreme Cook, you mentioned. You mentioned T.J. Long. Jake Wojcik is still there. Caleb Fields and Bryson Goodine, the two transfers from Bowling Green and Providence, will be in the backcourt. Keep an eye on Makai Willis, Jim. He could be the sixth man of the year in the MAC if what he did yesterday against Rutgers is any indication. At 12 points, was the hot hand early on. Could step out and hit a three as well. This is a guy who could probably make a name for himself early on and can play the four or the five with Supreme Cook. I didn't even mention Chris Mido or Zach Frizzler, who were mainstays in the rotation the last couple of years that might not have to do as much. Fairfield could be this year's St. Peter's. I, think, I, won't say, yeah, I, agree. I won't say Elite Eight, but in terms of the depth and the versatility. So I say, and I think you believe too, based on what you just said, 
We have I Iona and Ryder at the top of the Mac, and we, we both think that they're going to battle it out. I think Fairfield's maybe a, a little bit behind the two of them, but I think they're right there to be a third team challenging both Iona and Ryder. Agreed. Okay, we're good there. All right, now we have to get to the issue. So um, we I already did a preview early in the show about the change at Manhattan. Uh, they now have one of the assistant coaches that emerged as a coach. who has got a great resume, by the way. He's got a new coach. Uh, they lost two of their best players uh, that transferred out when Steve Maciello got fired. You know, Jose Perez, who uh, I think you had as a potential MAC conference player of the year. Um, mm -hmm. They also lost Samba Diallo. And they lost one of their top transfers uh, that Omar came Silverio. in. Yeah, Omar Silverio from Hofstra. So those were three key pieces. But Manhattan still has guys like Samir Stewart, freshman named Raziel Hayen, I believe his name is. Josh Roberts, who transferred over last year from uh, St. John's. They've got Elijah Buchanan, a good shooter. A guy named mm -hmm. Adam Walden. Uh, tell me about, can Manhattan still be a competitive team after losing their coach and three of their best players? If everybody else stays on the roster, and I know there's been some uncertainty in regard to how many other players will enter the transfer portal, but if Manhattan can keep everyone else, there's no reason why this group can't be a middle-of-the-pack MAC team. The change from Massiello to Rashawn Stores is significant, but you have to remember it's an in-house an in-house promotion coaching change. So Stores will probably run a, a very similar system. He played for Massiello. He coached under him. So I don't expect the schematics to be much different than they would have been if Steve was still around. If Manhattan can keep everybody together, and you didn't even men mention Anthony Nelson, who hasn't practiced in recent weeks, but if he can get back on on the court, and if he can, if he stays in the program, Manhattan's still a middle of the pack back team, and maybe it might not be as much of a drop off as people are suggesting. I agree. Okay, so good. I agree. It's my thinking right now. One quick question, so we can move to some more teams. Are you hearing any noise that there'll be more transfers, or does it seem to be settling down? I think it was more of a reactionary move. I don't know for sure after Diallo was the third one to announce, maybe about a day or two after the Massiello news broke. I haven't heard anything since maybe Thursday night, if, if I remember correctly, and Perez committed last night to West Virginia, so he's already gone. We don't know where Silverio has been offered or where he might end up. I, I don't see six or seven leaving. They might get one or two more in the portal, but I, I do think the core, what's left of the core, the majority of last year's roster should be back. So I was told by a prominent high school coach, they really like uh, their new coach. He's uh, someone that played there, someone that coached there, so he'll probably be able to hold it together. Okay? All right. I want to move to two other teams. Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac often looks good on paper, but the final product after the season doesn't look as good. What's going on at Quinnipiac? Well, Baker Dunleavy has a very short roster. He's only down to 10 scholarship players okay. because Elijah Taylor has transferred from Notre Dame to his ACL in the offseason. So he's going to be out for the year. So the, the burden on Ike Nweke, the transfer from Columbia, to carry the load up front, has increased in the Weke battle shoulder problems last year, so we don't know if he's 100%. The guards are there, but the concern is always going to be who steps up in the front court. Kevin Marfo graduated. Quinnipiac doesn't have that guaranteed 8, 9, 10 rebound the game guy. 
I want to see what Nwete can do at this level. Quinnipiac does have some question marks. Okay. Siena, one of the best programs in the MAC historically. I think they're very well coached. It's a good team. Uh, they lost guys, but they seem to have been smart. They brought some freshmen in uh, from Europe. Uh, it seems like they're kind of uh, it's a, they're rebuilding there in Siena. Do you think Siena's good enough to compete this year, or is it a year where they'll be good but not at the top? Absolutely, I do. If any coach can get his team to overachieve, it's Carmen Massarello. We've already seen it in three separate seasons where he was picked. But his first year, he was picked sixth, and he won the regular season and probably would have won the MAC tournament if COVID didn't cancel it. Last year, they were picked eighth, and they finished, and they finished third. So Siena definitely has the pieces. It's just a matter of how soon they flow together. All right, that's it. That's our time. You did a great job, Jaden. We'll get you back on, and we'll do a MAC update uh, pretty soon. Absolutely, Jim. Always good talking to you. Thank you, everybody. That's Jaden Daly, our friend. He helps out the show a lot. Daily Go Tube, check it out. All right, we're going to our commercial break, and then we'll be back for the final segment of the show. I'm Jim Misano. College Tube Chat on WBOS. Okay, folks, we are back for the final segment of College Hoops Chat. And on the line is our number one caller, calls every show. Uh, he's now part of the show completely. And that's Kenny from Rye, my grammar school friend, Kenny Nixon. How are you, Ken? James, how are we doing? I'm doing great, having fun today. I think we had a pretty good preview of the ACC and the MAC conference. What do you think? We got an excellent preview of the ACC and... Our friend there from the MAC does a great, great job for our conference. It's probably undercovered a little bit that we take uh, we take care of here with our coverage of Iona College, Iona University. Excuse me. I know we got to get used to that. I'm struggling with it too. All right, <laughs> so let's jump into the Big East, uh, a conference that you've been following since high school, and then you went to a Big East school, Providence. So uh, you're a Big East fan for a long time because we got pretty old, Ken. But one thing interesting about the Big East I want to throw out there is there's only 11 teams in the Big East. Four of them have coaching changes, and I think these coaching changes are going to greatly impact the conference this year. Jay Wright, the historic Hall of Fame coach, is being replaced by a Kyle Neptune at uh, Villanova. Did a nice job last year at, at Fordham. Kyle Neptune, Jay Wright's an all-time great, but Neptune has a lot of promise. Travis Steele out at Xavier. They bring in Sean Miller, their former coach that took Xavier to their highest places. Everybody knows Sean Miller can coach. He's a terrific college basketball coach. He might not always follow the rules. Uh, he gets in trouble a lot with the NCAA, but he's a great coach. Laval Jordan, who struggled at Butler, gone with Dad Mata, uh, is a great college basketball coach. Uh, and so Butler got him as one of the under-the-radar coaching hires. Keep an eye on him bringing Butler back to the top. And, of course, Kevin Willard got a uh, promotion, I guess you call it a promotion, to Maryland. And Shaheen Holloway, the all-time coach at St. Peter's, the guy darling of the nation, is now the coach at Seton Hall. Those four coaching changes are going to really impact the conference. Well, I think the, the, the Big East and those schools in particular did a great job of filling the bench. I mean, let's be honest here. Thad, Thad Mata and, and, and Miller themselves have great, great resumes. You know, and as we were talking about it before, you know, Thad had did a great job at Ohio State and obviously had an inch to come back. So, I think that's a winner, winner. Gene Holloway has earned his way up and deserves the job, and I think he'll do a great job at Seton Hall once he gets settled. And, you know, the situation in Villanova is kind of to be determined. We know our friend there, Neptune, from Fordham, but um, uh, the shock of Jay Wright leaving and what he's done over the last 10 years is going to be tough to, uh, to live up to. All right, so let's get into the teams. So I guess the first question I'm going to ask you is, 
do you think, based on the conversation we just had about some really high-profile coaches taking over teams that already have some talent left over, uh, again, Sean Miller uh, going to Xavier and Thad Motter going to Butler, and of course, Gene Holiday, we know is a great coach after what he did last year in the tournament, taking over a scene all team that does have a lot of talent, including transfer talent, but we'll get into that. Uh, do you think this is the year where Villanova doesn't win the Big East? Yeah. You do? I think from a perspective of not not because not because of the coach, but because the depth and player issues with uh, you know, Justin Moore, who's kind of the glue to the team itself, is coming back from the Achilles injury, and that's going to be a big problem. I mean, most of our Villanova friends uh, know that's going to be a problem, and it's obviously not just a, you know, a turn-on after an Achilles injury. And then their freshman, Whitmore, who was a five-star player, is expected to come back. But the two of them, clearly with their injuries, are probably not practicing full throttle in the early part of the season. And that's hard to do to get you know, involved kind of midway through once you get going. So I think Villanova's going to struggle a little bit for a couple of reasons, those, those two in particular. And then, as we all know, and I guess it's, they're going to have to live up to the reputation. This crate is loaded. They're, they're loaded by the fact of bringing back five of the uh, top seven players and then adding some excellent ones in, in, the, in the course of uh, in the last uh, 12 months. So let me just quickly touch on Villanova and agree with you. I think that Justin Moore is a terrific college basketball player, and when he gets back and gets settled back in, uh, he'll be a star for Villanova. But in the meantime... Um, they got to rely on Brandon Slater, who's a good, very good player. Caleb Daniels, who's a good player. Eric Dixon's a good player. Uh, and they have an incoming freshman named Mark Armstrong, who's like four or five-star player. But Cam Whitmore was the star they brought in, the five-star, you know, top 10, top 20 player in America. Someone's going to get an NBA draft next year. He's hurt, too. So what Kenny's saying is they're having um, a transition with a new coach, Villanova, and two of their best players will not be starting this season at least for a month or so, and that's Justin Moore and Cam Whitmore. So I agree. I think Villanova starts a little slow. They will eventually gel, but they're not going to win the Big East. Okay, Ken, I am bullish on Creighton. Ryan Kalkbrenner, seven-foot center. Arthur Kaluma, incredibly athletic power former. Two terrific guards, Trey Alexander and Ryan Nebard, that can play both shooting guard and point guard. They're combo guards. They're both really good players. So they have those four players back who were the best players in the Big East. And then they had Baylor Shireman, somebody you know because his team played Providence in the tournament, mm-hmm. and they gave Providence a game. He was the star of South Dakota State. He had some of the best numbers of any player in America. He joins Creighton to make give them one of the best starting fives in America. Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, was you know when, when you look at teams, and we're so used to this now enormous transition of rosters, when a team that has had a good year and then brings back five of the top seven players and then adds some you know, mature players as well as good freshmen, you have to think to yourself, not only is it on paper looking good, but the fact is they can withstand some other issues, injury issues, you know, someone doesn't work out as well as they thought issue. And so they've got so much depth that you know, it's going to be a matter of the coach selling to the, to the team who can sacrifice here for the greater good of the team for playing time. I agree, and uh, I, that's a good point. They also got a couple of good freshmen in, too, Creighton. So, look, folks, it, it's just a fact. Creighton's going to be great. Uh, are they going to win the NCAA tournament? I don't know. But are they going to be at, uh, at the top of the Big East, at least in the regular season? I do believe they will be. We'll see if they win the tournament, and they're going to win some games in the NCAA tournament. I'm pretty sure of that. All right, Kenny from Rye. Next question. 
after you, we talked about Villanova being that all-time great program for like the last decade, or they've always been good, but really dominated the Big East for the last 10 years, and we talked about Creighton being loaded. Who's next? If you're looking at who's the, who's the next team to kind of challenge Villanova, uh, who do you think is going to be that team this year? Which is surprising, but I guess they're going off of paper. They've got Xavier in there. A number of the polls have got Xavier two or three on a few of them. So um, I'm going to take it from the experts. They've got a roster that that, that is is that is formidable. Uh, obviously, we know Miller can coach. We know we know what he's done in the past, and I think he'll bring the best out of them. Uh, UConn, I guess it seems like they everybody in the polls and or the media wants to wish UConn to be better. UConn lost a lot. They supplemented it with some some good players, but again, when you lose four or five, and then you bring in four or five, it's, it's a little bit of a guesswork of what they're going to do for the season. So, people have them between three and four. You know, St. John's is obviously back with their you know their their leader and and some good additions. People like them. I think Providence has, has put together a decent roster as well. Um, and then after that, it kind of drops off a little bit. So I think one, two, three, four, five, six. You go six deep, and I think it looks pretty good. I think two through six is kind of a toss-up, to be honest with you. I think everybody are, is making projections off of statistics and or paper. I agree. So UConn lost guys like R.J. Cole and Therese Martin with a heart and soul of the team. They do bring back a player, though, who I think keeps getting better and better. And there are times when I see him play, he's dominant. And that is uh, Adama Sinogo, the center. He's a terrific player for UConn. So that th- this team can do really well because he's on the team. Guys like Jordan Hawkins and Andre Jackson are back, too. So I do think uh, UConn has the talent to kind of battle out a team like Villanova and maybe even Creighton. Uh, But like you said, they've got a lot of big transfers in. Uh, Newton from East Carolina, Aline from Virginia Tech, Diara from Texas A&M, and a guy from San Diego, too. So UConn is probably a team that's going to be better in January, February, than November, December. We'll have to wait and see how they come together. Um, Xavier is interesting because they won the NIT. They won the NIT with an assistant coach stepping in because they fired the coach. They played really well. They got a lot of their players, not all. They lost their point guard, who was really good. But they got a lot of players back. And they, have a, they have a five-star freshman coming in. So, I, And then they have Sean Miller as the coach. So I do think Xavier put them right up there with UConn and Villanova. I think those three teams are kind of in the same area. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. As you say, uh, my my concern here, though, again, is we're, people are making guesstimations on rosters that have a big turnover. And, you know, I think Creighton deserves to be where they are because of the fact is that they have a roster that is matured and they're bringing back the percent, you know, a large percentage of the people who participate, you know, were the leaders last year. So everybody else is a little bit of guesswork. Um, so, again, Xavier, they, they, they win the NIT, they get rid of the coach, and then they have a big transition on the roster. Miller's a very, very good coach. We all know that. But, again, people are, are guesstimating on what he's bringing in and then bringing in that it's going to work. I agree. So, Seton Hall brings back two really good players, Kadari Richmond uh, and Tyrese Samuel. Uh, Alex Jetton is a good, solid player. Uh, he's in the rotation. They got Casey Nadefo. We all know in Iona what a terrific play he was at St. Peter's. And they got three big-time transfers, including a guy I'm being told, watch out, he's taking a big step forward. So I'm going to say the name, Al Amir Dawes. Watch him. Supposed to be a really good player. But you left out a team, Kenny from Rye. St. John's Red Storm, the Johnnies. They have a lot of talent because they've got... Uh, they got Continuity. Most of their team did come back this year, unlike last year. 
Uh, so they got most of their guys back. Pasha Alexander, Dylan uh, Wusu, Nawe, Soriano, Mathis, Pinzon, Stanley, Triori, and then they added two really strong players. Four-star type players, Davy Jones and Andre Corbello, Kenny. Yeah, I mean, I, you, you like the fact that, as you said, the best part about their roster is the majority of them are coming back. That's the most important thing. Anderson has, has had too, way too much turnover, and that's a big problem. I agree. So I'm putting up St. John's up there with those teams like Xavier and Villanova and Seton Hall. I'm putting them right up there. Kenny from Ride, thank you so much. All right, James, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, buddy. Great job. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed our ACC and MAC and Big East previews. Hope they help you get ready for the season. Starts one night next week. We'll be on next week at 8 o'clock. Tune in, everybody.